at the museum with Alan and Daniel. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. Everyone come gather round, listen to your favorite sound. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We'll talk the games and all the rest about the team that we love best. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. And we welcome you into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptoff, C70th Bat at C70 on Twitter. This is where I usually say with me as always is Alan Medlock. Um, but Alan is, I guess the technical term is probably on assignment, I think is what they say in radio terms. Uh, Alan can't make it tonight. But I am joined by uh, athletic writer Katie Wu. Uh, you'll find her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. The J stands for just killing it on Cardinal Twitter. Um, I put that out there. I think the, my favorite one, though, might have been from Ryan Reynolds, who said, Katie, just please don't do the woo. <laughs> um, yep. You, you've, got a, you've got a fan base, apparently, that just, just can't keep screaming for you. Hey, you know what? Um, I, I'm never going to tell anyone how to fan. You, play, you pay your good money to go and watch your favorite baseball team. Um, however, I will absolutely complain on Twitter and in my mind at this constant wooing. Look, I say woo every day. It's one of my favorite words. It's literally my last name. <laughs> there is a time and a place for it. Uh, but I, I will, uh, I will die on this hill. Just know I'm not pleased about it. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it's a, it's a really weird concept that I know we, I think I heard it in, I don't know, some other stadium a couple of years ago and it has come to St. Louis and I, I just haven't grasped my head around what causes somebody to do that all the time through a game? I think they must know that they're being obnoxious and they like to do it. They must like to make people mad or irritate or feed into the, the nonsense. Um, you know, it's, it is what it is. I was, I, I can't really bemoan the fact that it coincides with my first season. <laughs> I think it's quite coincidental, um, but you know, they're going to do it and we have to somehow figure out a way to cope. That's right. And, you know, maybe as the stadium fills up as the season goes along, we won't hear them quite as much or somebody will pop them over the head when they try it. One of the, <laughs> one of the two. Um, so let's talk about your first season here in St. Louis. You come from the West Coast um, and that is your background. Tell us a little bit about how you got into baseball and baseball writing. Sure. Uh, well, you know, I've always, you know, thinking back on my life and my childhood, baseball has always been a constant of, of just something I enjoy. I think it goes back to being in a very athletic family and having my dad, who is very instrumental in my love of baseball and what we like, what we did growing up was baseball every day. I mean, growing up in, in the Bay Area, I was 45 minutes away from the A Stadium and the Giants Stadium. So we went to games all the time. It was always on after dinner. And my dad and I just really liked to, to talk about it and to prove each other wrong and to see who knew more at the time <laughs> growing up. So I think that kind of fed into my competitiveness to, to try to prove him wrong. Uh, and that's probably what made me want to be a reporter because, you know, you are competitive as a reporter and as a writer. You, you want to make sure that your stuff is accurate and well done and correct and timely. 
So I think that my, my passion for baseball in general and just my, my love of the English language and, and writing and telling stories somehow made the perfect blend of a career that I honestly didn't even know existed until I got to college at Arizona State and they had just unveiled their sports journalism program. And I said, what even is that? I, I went to Arizona State for other Arizona State reasons. Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> when I found out that they were so close to spring training and they offered all these opportunities to work in sports, I thought, let's just try it. Let's see what it is. And then five-ish, four, I don't, I don't know, four years later, here we are in, in a brand new state with a brand new organization. And, you know, I'm loving every second of it. And it's been a bit of a whirlwind, I would imagine. So when you were growing up, then did you have a preference between the A's and the Giants or did you just kind of love them both equally? My dad, I think, really wanted me to be an A's fan. I mean, they had the big three then with Tim Hudson and Mark Mulder and Barry Zito. Mm. And I love Barry Zito. But if you're going to compare Barry's in the Bay Area at that time I was growing up, there was really only one. <laughs> So Barry Bonds pretty much captivated me at six years old. I don't know how you're not captivated by someone who can hit home runs into the ocean every night. So I grew up a Giants fan and my dad jumped ship like the loyal dad that he is. And, you know, I picked a good time, a good childhood to to grow up a Giants fan, went to seen three World Series. And I just remember every time it seemed like they, they had played the Cardinals. And I was always terrified because it was the Cardinals and they always had villains, I would think, of... <laughs> Uh, and, you know, it, it's so funny because obviously they're all they're all great. Um, I just remember growing up always being terrified when the Cardinals came to town. And then when they were around in October, it was like the war the scariest three to four games ever. Um, but, yeah, that that's pretty much it. Obviously, now now that I'm a reporter and working in the industry, I only care for two things. And that's sub three hour baseball games and no injuries. I have no investment in wins and losses for any team. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the the idea that once you get into the journalism, you root for the story and not for the not for the teams. So, um, for as little work as possible. And yes, exactly. Um, so before you before you came here, though, you were working at MILB. Uh, you're working for the minor leagues. Um, what was that situation like for you? You know, in, in 2019, that's when I first started. I finished my my internship where I covered the Padres for the 2018 season as their fill in reporter. Um, switching to the minor leagues was really cool. I got to stay with MLB Advanced Media, which was wonderful. Uh, and I got to pretty much embrace a side of the game that is I've never really experienced before or had much professional experience in. And every year we see a tremendous growth in the interest of the minor leagues and prospect development and farm systems. So that was really cool to kind of be in the minors with these guys and and kind of see the grind that's in the minor leagues as I'm also trying to make it to the major leagues. But I also found out, you know, because when I first took that minor league job, I thought, hey, spend a couple years down here, do some good reporting and hopefully get promoted to the big leagues just like the players do. I wasn't expecting in 2019 to love it as much as I did. I love prospect evaluation. I love what the minor leagues embody and represent. It's just good family fun baseball. And the best thing about the minor leagues is you never know who's going to turn up to be a star. So I was really disappointed for so many reasons when the 2020 season didn't happen. Um, not even from a career perspective. Like obviously that was very hard knowing that my opportunities were going to get cut down. And so were my wonderful coworkers and everyone that worked so hard to make MILB.com the place that it is or was, because I think they're transitioning into something else right now. Hmm. But it, what, what it did allow me to do was get creative and figure out ways to tell stories about players that weren't playing and get a, see a way to, to do some different kind of draft coverage. Um, it was definitely difficult. 
And I kind of knew the writing was on the wall for me there, just based on the, there was, you know, no season and we still, you know, now we finally have an idea that it's coming back, but heading into January and February, we had no idea either. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the opportunity came along at the perfect time to join the athletic and I could not be more thankful or, you know, I, I can't imagine it going any more fun than it has been. Yeah. So you were talking a minute ago about the Cardinals being that, you know, that villain, if you will, uh, when you were <laughs> growing up. Um, so what inspired you besides the opening, obviously, um, what made you want to come to St. Louis? I've always wanted to be a, a beat writer and I've never really had a preference about location. I, I think there's like this sentiment from fans that, oh, if you grew up a, a Dodgers fan, it must be your dream dream job to cover the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. My dream job was to just write about baseball. And what was really cool about this opportunity is it really pushed me out of my comfort zone to just get up and move across the country for an organization that, you know, I hadn't had much experience covering and, you know, a, a division that I hadn't covered before in my professional career. And it really forced me to, to learn quickly and learn a lot. But what I really like about St. Louis and what was so enticing to me was the history of the franchise and the fact that it is such a, a treasured market here. I have, you know, I've covered the minor leagues, so there's sometimes not a lot of interest. I've covered markets that are smaller in the grand scheme of things. But with St. Louis, I felt like I was getting an opportunity to write about meaningful baseball every day to an audience that would really care. Um, and, you know, it's not more or less if, they they like me as a person or not although i would certainly hope that they do <laughs> it's it's more of are they getting information and are they getting stories and coverage about their favorite team from me can i capture that effectively to better serve them and i think the fan base and what they crave and what they want makes me a better writer so i think it just was a combination of all these opportunities where i was totally terrified and honestly you know didn't think I really had a shot in getting the job. And then they offered it to me a couple weeks before opening day. And they were like, yeah, good luck. And, you know, not really. They've been very, very helpful. Everyone has been so wonderful. I would be drowning without the support of the athletic. Uh, But it was the ultimate test. And I felt like from a position wise, it checked all the boxes that I was hoping to achieve in my career. You know, we talk about you wanted to get called up to the major leagues. And one of the things that they always ask a, a minor leaguer for that, who gets that call is what it was like. Do you, what was your first emotion when you got the notification by email or call or whatever it was that you had the job? Well, I did my, my final interview and, you know, they, they were very transparent throughout the whole process. This is actually the second time I interviewed with the athletic. So mm-hmm. both times they had been very transparent and very open about where I was and where they were in the process. So they said, you know, they were going to try and get to an answer soon and to hang tight, they'll, they'll update as soon as possible. So about a week later, I got an email and I remember the person that reached out started it with, hi, Katie, with an exclamation point. And was like, we were wondering if you could jump on a call at at your earliest convenience, no rush. And I thought to myself, if they are telling me I didn't get the job and they're starting this with an exclamation point, (laughs) that would be so mean. So I I went into the to the call cautiously optimistic based on that tone. And and they, you know, they made it pretty clear that they liked what I what I was doing and the ideas that I was bringing from throughout the interview process. Uh, So it was a whirlwind of emotions, uh, you know, telling my family and my friends, my boyfriend at the time that we, I was leaving. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, had no plan, 
but it all works out, right? Everything works out for a reason. I mean, I'm sitting here recording this on a mattress on the floor because my furniture isn't set up yet. Um, <laughs> but that's the beauty of this, right? Because one day I'll look back and I'll laugh. I'll laugh at how I have to do my Zoom post games with my camera on in my kitchen because I don't want anyone in the Cardinals organization to know I don't have furniture yet. Right, right. <laughs> it's, um, it was just, you know, a whole whirlwind process that I probably haven't wrapped my head around yet. Um, but I don't know. It felt like the right thing at the right time. And while I was surprised when I got the call, I also knew it at the same time. We talked to Zach Silver a couple of weeks ago and he had, you know, the similar type of thing of trying to find a house, trying to find a location as the season is starting. Um, you've got such a, I guess, a broad pool of journalists in St. Louis. You have ones that have been on the beat for a long time. You have Derek Gould, who's been, you know, president of the, the, baseball mm-hmm. writers um, and others at the post-dispatch. And then you've got, you know, you and Zach that are, are new and fresh to the beat. How has that dynamic been for you so far? I really like my competitors. I think the post-dispatch is tremendous. And having people like Derek and Rick Hummel, who the press box is named after, makes people like, and I can't speak for Zach, obviously, but makes the makes us better right? Because you're going against some of the very best. So we're all spread out in the press box. And I am a little upset at Zach for covering all these games from home because he was my closest writer. So now I have to literally DM Jeff Jeff Jones anytime <laughs> I have a, an observation because everyone's so far away. Uh, I, I, I literally bother PR all the time with my, because they're the next closest, just because I have no one else to talk to. Right. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we we're so spread out that we don't really get a chance to talk to each other too much. Um, and you know, no one, we are working, so it can't be like a, a chatty press box all the time. But what I have been able to take away from these guys, and this is, you know, probably in their minds, a disadvantage of zoom is the questions they ask and the things they observe are insane to me. And that's a testament of, of being on the beat for so long as they can pick things up so quickly. So watching the, and hearing what they notice, and, you know, everyone there has been super helpful, of course, super accommodating. Um, I have yet to meet a sour person in the press box. Um, they've all been wonderful. But they also make writers who are coming into this pretty blind more aware of what's going on. So, you know, that's probably not something they're intending to do. But, but it is something I, I've picked up and I can appreciate their their knowledge and how long they've been doing this to to give them the respect that they deserve. You, of course, are only the second person to have this beat for the athletic. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a fairly new thing. Do, do you find that allows you for a lot more creativity in doing what you want to do? Um, or, well, I guess that's what I want to ask. Well, I, I actually lost you for about 10 seconds. Um, so I feel like I didn't get the whole gist of your okay. question. Well, I'll, I'll rephrase it. And maybe I can actually say it right this time too. Um, you are the second person to be in the athletic beat because it's, you know, the athletics a fairly new organization in the grand scheme of things anyway. Um, does that give you creativity, a little bit of freedom to kind of approach it in your own way? I think that's why I've always been a fan of the athletic. I mean, I've always wanted to work there. This has always been my dream company because of the flexibility it allows. Um, You know, you don't have to write a game story every day on what the box score said, who had three hits, who struck out three times, right? Like there are ways Mm -hmm. to tell those stories creatively. And obviously, you know, my competitors are a great example of that. But what I like about the athletic is you really have the flexibility to make coverage your own. So if you, if a defining moment, like Nolan Arenado's 
two go ahead home run and on a home opening day, that's a defining moment. You can tell that story, but it doesn't have to be in a box score fashion. You can capture the moment there. Or if you want to dive into what Mo said about carp on a zoom call, you can take an extra day to get carp side of it and have a more well-rounded story. When if you're on deadline at other places, you don't have that luxury. Uh, you can spin these long features like and, and work with other talented writers. Like I did a feature with the Brewers writer, Will Salmon, on, on Colton Wong. And that was really cool because you get two different perspectives from two different organizations. Um, I just like the, the camaraderie. I love the teamwork. I love the ability to express and make the beat your own. Like, yes, we have expectations and we have things we need to do. We have subscriptions we need to hit, all of that. But if you look at each writer from The Athletic from an MLB standpoint, None of it's done the same. It's all kind of a, a testament to our writing styles, our creativity, and what we like to do. And hopefully that connects with the audience. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, it is pretty It's pretty neat and pretty different uh, approach to things. Um, and it also, I would guess, will let you, like you said, the season, minor league season starts next week, give you a chance to, to tap into that if you want to, and if stories pop out from, from when they get started. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, we talked about the the interest in prospects and rightfully so. I mean, this is a Cardinals team that has a lot of talent on, on the rise. And this is a Cardinals team that does know how to develop talent. Now, whether or not they keep it is a different question. <laughs> but, you know, they, they do know how to develop. So I'm excited. You know, I need to I probably need to spend the next upcoming weeks just as getting as much big league info as I can. But the, the great thing about a 162 game season is that there is definitely an opportunity to sneak away for a week in June or July and, and do some uh, minor league coverage. So I'm, I'm excited to incorporate that. It might not be as much as I want the first year on the beat, uh, but it will be a good start. And I'm excited to kind of spin it forward going forward. Yeah. We look forward to, to seeing what you come up with too. Um, as you have come into the fan base, you've also, as we, kicked us off with you've also in, ingrained yourself i guess into the twitter verse um and obviously that experience is not 100 percent positive because nobody's experience on social media is 100 percent right. positive but how have you been accepted among the fans you know i i get so much love from the fans and i may not respond to every single one but i see it and it means the world. It really does to, because I, I imagine Cardinals fans, especially if you were the, if you subscribed to the athletic were upset that you didn't get any coverage for a long time. Yeah. And I get it. I do. Um, so, and it could be really easy to say this writer has no experience covering the Cardinals. She barely has any major league experience. Who is she? Why should we trust her? And that's what I was expecting. Actually. I was, I thought that was a very, you know, rational argument. So to, to see the interactions and the engagement and to see that people are responding so positively means the world. Um, now granted in June when the Cardinals have lost five straight and everyone <laughs> is ready to revolt, I'm sure the interactions will be a lot less positive, but the, just the welcoming from Cardinals fans has made me feel so appreciated and, and given me confidence to continue doing what I'm doing. So it, it's solidified me in feeling like I, have made the right decision in this market and, you know, do have the capabilities of doing my job because you know what we don't talk about in, in baseball media and is the, like the, the irrationality that comes with it. You're constant 
constantly overthinking what you're doing or constantly mm-hmm. thinking, was that a dumb question? Or is there a better way I could have phrased that? Or is this stat really accurate? Am I spinning it unintentionally? There's a lot of second guessing. So the praise, and even if you don't agree with what I say, like I'm not here again to please people. I'm here to hopefully connect the audience with their team. So even if you don't agree with my analysis or you think that something could have been done or cleaned up better, the fact that you're engaging and reading and hopefully bridging those connections, that's great too. And I welcome an open dialogue. We're not all going to get along. I have, trust me, the one Matt Carpenter story was enough for me to know that. But it's cool to have the engagement. The positivity is, is so welcomed and appreciated. I cannot overstate that enough. But I, I welcome the dialogue. I really do. The comment section on, on the articles for The Athletic is probably one of my favorite things about what we do because it allows for that dialogue, not just with me, but for the fans. And again, this is what we do. When, when you write, it's not about what I think or what I say. It's about how I'm saying that for the, for the fans because that's who we write for. Yeah, you you referenced it there, but you have probably found out that sometimes uh, we like to shoot the messenger um, yes. when the the lineups <laughs> and things come out. Um, but I, maybe that's going to be a little bit less than that tonight. Carpenter hits his second pinch hit home run in as many days. Um, it's kind of remarkable to see the fact the stories come out that that was the first time it's ever happened in Major League history. Um, does it look different to you or is this just kind of one of those we'll hit it and then in another week we're complaining about Carpenter again? Here's the thing is when I look at the swings Matt Carpenter has taken when he has hit the ball and knows what's coming, it looks exactly like the swings we saw yesterday and today. Mm. Um, The chase and the strikeout rate, that's alarming. Sure, I think he was getting fooled really early on. Um, But he had a lot of holes, I think. And, you know, he definitely, I think, his confidence, I don't think, ever wavered, I think. But it's so mental when you're struggling and pitchers know that you're struggling. It's really hard to break out. So I honestly think, and I, I poor Roman Quinn almost had the catch of the year. <laughs> the ball bouncing out of Quinn's glove was the turn of the luck for Carpenter that he needed. Like the foul pull, the foul pull home run, that was cool. Sure, absolutely. But then he, you know, bounced back and, and came back to earth and had the same kind of bad luck. After that home run falling out of Quinn's glove into the bullpen, I think that was the twist in in baseball universe. And I think that that reassured Carp that what he's doing is working. I really like Matt Carpenter in this pinch hit, go up, hit a dinger role. You know, I I see a lot of of conversation that the Cardinals need a a veteran bat off the bench that can go out and, and, and perform when needed in a spot. I think they have that. And... I think the way that Carpenter has has gone and embraced his new role and stayed the quality teammate and quality clubhouse guy that he is, is really admirable. We I don't think we can overstate, and granted, I'm not in the clubhouse yet. This is just what I've heard and the takeaways that I've heard from people that are in there. We can't overstate the impact he has on that entire club. So I like where he is. He has a veteran impact. I think that he has... I, I think I am hopeful for the Cardinals' sake that the tides are turning for him because he really is a stand-up guy in that clubhouse, and it's, he seems to have a lot of respect across the organization. Oh, and I, I don't disagree any, with any of that. It would be nice to see Matt Carpenter um, kind of find a groove, but it looks like it will be harder than for him to do that unless it is in this pinch hit role. Now that 
both Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader are back uh, on the roster. Do you think we will see many instances of Tommy Edmond in the outfield and Carpenter starting at second for the next two or three weeks? No, I don't believe so. I, I think Tommy Edmond is fantastic no matter where you put him, <laughs> but he plays a really, really good second base. Uh, and I, I think with O'Neill heating up and Bader back and Dylan Carlson being Dylan Carlson, that outfield's pretty solidified. I think that if there is going to be an outfielder slotting in, it's going to be Justin Williams, um, who, who probably does need to figure out some things at the plate, but you know that's why he is probably going to be regulated to a bench role. I think we'll... You know, every now and then, if Edmund gets a day off, the thing is you can't really take him out of the lineup because he's so good at the leadoff spot and he's so durable and versatile. He's a very underrated presence on that team. Uh, they'll they'll make space for Carp. He'll get a spot start every now and then. But I think his role really will be relegated pretty much to the bench, come in and start, give a, give a guy a day off when he needs it. Uh, but when we need a, a home run or a big hit and some late innings, that's the guy they're going to go to. Yeah, and that keeps Carpenter off the hot seat too, because I think a lot of the grief that was directed toward Carpenter, which probably might've been more directed toward Mike Schilt was just the fact that he was (laughs) starting at so often. I don't think any, there's few people, there are some obviously that think Carpenter should be, you know, consigned to whatever outreaches of, of baseball that they can find. But I think most people are, are happy to have him on this team in that role that you're saying. Um, it was the overexposure when he was struggling so much. Is that, and, and I mean, I know you've only seen Mike Schilt for about a month now, but do you feel like Schilt was just basically trying as much as he could to get him started? And now he's like, we've, we've done that. We've given you your shot. And, you know, now we're gonna have to go a different direction. You know, I, I think it's a combination of things, and I think that's definitely a part. Um, this is, a, again, a veteran guy, and Schill is an old-school manager. He respects the guys that have been there a lot, and, you know, as a player, you respect that too. Schill's always going to be about his guys. Um, he does not really care about the outside noise, so I think it made sense to start Carp given the status of his career and, and what he's meant to the organization. But also, and this is not a dig really on any of the younger talent, when O'Neill went down and the outfield was very thin, they didn't have replacements that were better than Carp, yeah. right? Like no one came out and truly outperformed him. Now you can make the argument that we're taking away from seeing the talent that the young outfielders have, that these young players have, that Sosa is getting, not getting as many opportunities because you're playing Carp so much. And that, sure, that, that does make sense. But I think it says a lot about how the Cardinals felt about their, their outfield talent, that they weren't exactly ready yet to – and it was probably a combination of all of those things. And that's why you saw Carp start so much. It was mainly, you know, it was a testament to who he, what he's accomplished in his career. But it also was, are our replacements that much better? Mm-hmm. And I didn't think that they were. No, I think that's very fair. I mean, especially, you know, there was a call for Justin Williams to play regularly. And now that he has, there's less of a call for that. Um <laughs> it seems like Williams has struggled quite a bit and he did get that fourth option. Do you think that it's a situation that, you know, we're going to have some moves Wainwright come off the, of the COVID issue at the beginning of the week. Is that a situation where he winds up in Memphis to get some, you know, regular time now that that doesn't look like it's going to happen in the major leagues? I think that's a good point. I'm not quite sure. I think the the organization is big on Williams still. Um, yeah, he's not maybe not the most consistent at the plate, but what we saw 
we saw flashes of what he could be, right? Like he's made some really key defensive plays. He's made some really key defensive mistakes. He's come up really big and with some timely hits, he struck out a lot. So it comes down to this fine line of balancing production with with trials, I guess, and and seeing where the balance is there. I would imagine if someone's going to go down when Wayno comes back up, which hopefully is on Monday and hopefully everything is, is safe there, that it's probably Dean. Um, and I think they keep Williams, but then, you know, Nagowski's coming back. So there's, there's going to be some sort of, someone's going to be the odd man out there. Um, yeah. I'm just not quite sure if it's Williams. Okay. Um, and you coming into this organization, you, you get to look at some of these players that we've looked at for two or three years with a fresh perspective that maybe, you know, doesn't have the backing of the history or, or baggage that they may have. What are you seeing from Paul DeYoung? Because it seems like he's struggling quite a bit this year, but you know he's obviously still the starting shortstop. He's going to be out there quite regularly. What are you seeing when you watch him? I knew this question was a DeYoung question within the first like three three words. Uh, <laughs> I knew this is who we were going to be talking about. Uh, you know, he's. I think he's always probably had the the reputation of being a streaky hitter, but he's always been able to hit for average, and at least that's my take from it. Mm-hmm. that's kind of new that he has not been able to do this consistently. Um, when, when DeYoung is on, he's really on. It's just the frustrating part from a fan perspective is that you never know when he's going to be on or for how long. Um, obviously, like you said, he's the starting shortstop. He's not going anywhere. He plays a very, a very good shortstop. Mm-hmm. Him in the fifth hole is probably not the best spot for him. I think he performs much better in the sixth or seventh. Um, and you'll probably, you know, when Yachty comes back, he'll go back to that five hole. I think if O'Neal keeps hitting the way that he does, you move O'Neal to five and DeYoung to six. Uh, Kisner also, you know, he can he can hit. He's speedy. Yeah. And I, we've saw one game from Bader, so way too, way too early to make any predictions there. I think DeYoung would benefit from being lower in the lineup, uh, but I understand in, in Schultz's perspective why he feels like five is the best spot for him at the moment, given with what he has. Um, it's a less clear situation in like uh, Dylan Carlson's case, it was pretty obvious he should be hitting two from the start. But I can understand also why he wasn't. For DeYoung, I think everyone knows he's probably better suited later in the or later in the lineup, and he'll get better pitches to hit there and be more productive. But pitchers can go after him in the five spot, and they have been, and the results haven't been there. Yeah, we've seen them occasionally walk or maybe do more than walk uh, Nolan Arenado uh, to get around him a little bit because mm-hmm. of, of DeYoung behind him. So um, I, it is, I, I'm very interested to see how DeYoung will kind of maybe bounce back. Cause you're right. He's been even streakier than normal this year. I mean, <laughs> with yeah. two different two run home run games uh, you, you would expect a, you know, a lot better numbers, but um, you know, I, I don't, he's in a situation where the Cardinals will just have to, to keep running him out there and, and hopefully it clicks. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're not going to give up young anytime soon, even though Sosa has filled in pretty admirably. I like what I see from Sosa from a young guy. He's very passionate. He plays a good shortstop, mm-hmm. but they're not going to side Sosa over DeYoung, right? That's, that's just not going to happen. No. Um, and, you know, I guess the rest of the offense is pretty, pretty much uh, under control. Paul Goldschmidt seems to have been struggling a little bit since that back issue back, you know, at the home opener. Has mm-hmm. there been any discussion about that from Mike Schiltz about, you know, if he's still doing okay? 
We don't, we asked Goldie directly. Um, I don't even know my days anymore, but it was earlier <laughs> in the week, maybe Monday or Tuesday. Um, and he said he felt fine. You know, Paul Goldschmidt's been a notorious slow starter in his career. April's mm. a tough month for hitters anyway. Um, and I know the back issue probably adds some concern and, and rightfully so, but I wouldn't be worried about Goldie unless this production spans through the month of May. I think May will be a telling, a, a telling point for so many factors on this team and will give us so many more answers because April, it's easy to overreact. You have a very small sample mm-hmm. size in 162 games. May is much more indicative of where the team's success is at. So if Goldie is still struggling at this point by, you know, May 20th or heading to the end of the month, then it's time to maybe get concerned. But he said he felt fine. He said that he's not doing anything differently. And, you know, he ripped a couple of homers against Philly that looked really good. So uh, today, obviously, not the case. Didn't look very good (laughs) with three strikeouts. Um, So, you know, it's definitely something to monitor, but if you know a player is going to say, hey, I feel good and I'm not worried about it, especially given Goldie's status as a slow starter, I'm not going to read too much into it until I have a bigger sample size. It does feel like this offense is still looking for a way to click, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you've got, you know, now that Carlson's moved up, you've got Edmund and, and Carlson getting on pretty regularly, but then Goldie and Arnato have kind of taken a step back. If they could ever just kind of put it all together for a couple of weeks. I think it'd be a lot of fun to watch. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, we see Edmund and Carlson, they're a really good one, two combo when Golden Arnado heat up. And if Yachty can come back and continue doing only Yachty things, that's a really viable one through five threat. Um, but today I thought was a really good sign from the offense perspective. They were putting pressure on, they had runner on runners on the bases almost every inning. They were, they kept adding on even after the big home runs, like, mm-hmm. That was a really positive sign, I thought, from the offense today, especially given the fact that, you know, they don't have their heart and soul in the lineup. But I thought overall, what I saw today was much more indicative of what the Cardinals would prefer to see. Yeah. And they did it against one of the Pirates' better pitchers of the year and a pitcher that I don't think they've seen before or definitely hadn't seen very much. I think maybe a couple innings last year. So, and that's one of those bugaboos for the Cardinals, at least it has been over the few years. It's throw that pitcher out there they've never seen before. They're going to struggle. It's good to see that they didn't this time. No, I thought it was a good turn in the, in the direction and a good way to start the weekend off for sure. So let's shift gears then. We've, I think we've covered the offense, but the pitching staff. First of all, how great was it to see Genesis Cabrera bounce back tonight? I know there was, I was a little bit concerned after seeing, you know, those two pitches against the Phillies, uh, that might shake him a little bit, but it looked like he bounced back pretty quickly off that. You know, that one, what happened Wednesday was so scary. It was scary mm-hmm. for everybody there. It's scary for Bryce. It's scary for the Phillies. It's scary for the Cardinals and it's scary for Cabby. Like you don't want to be, no matter who you are, anytime you hit a guy, especially in the way that that happened to Bryce, it's, it's terrifying. And obviously he was really shaken up for him to have to throw the second pitch because you can't be taken out of the game there. And then for him to hit Gregorius, it, you could just see the confidence and the panic confidence left the panic set in and it could have been a really dangerous situation for everybody because you know, I can't imagine what that does to you mentally to rattle you. Mm -hmm. I was really impressed. And I think so was everybody else. His teammates who carp talked, O'Neill talked about it. Shell talked about it tonight. John Gant about what cabby was able to do to come back six up, six down, all three pitches were working total control. He was saved by a, another fantastic play a daily play by Nolan at third. <laughs> um, that's 
fantastic. It's really encouraging, really good to see. I think that the more he does that, the more that this incident is, is put behind him. I do have to wonder if he did reach out to Bryce, like Bryce. So what, what Bryce Harper offering to, to yeah. talk to, to Hennessy there and, and sending out that text message. I know that Bryce Harper catches a lot of flack, but that really was a stand-up move. Um, I think that that says a lot about the respect that players have for each other in the game that we, we kind of lose because we're not playing it, so we don't see it. Um, but, you know, to, to answer your question, I thought the way he bounced back was everything that he needed, most importantly, to put what happened on Wednesday beside him and beside him and continue what has been a really steady season for him he's been a really dependable arm in that bullpen he plays a huge factor in their relief their relief options so that was good on all fronts to see yeah i i also wonder if that text from harper didn't help that process out quite a bit just just to kind of get it off his mind and know that you know people understood people under he knew that that and and i'm sure harper said hey look you're that's just that's the way it goes it's, you'll get them next time uh, i gotta feel like that may have helped uh, him get better as well but the bullpen and maybe some of the starters as well but more of the bullpen it seems like of late has had not to that extent but a little bit of control issues we see a lot feels like maybe it's just because it's the eighth and ninth inning and any walk kills you um mm-hmm. it feels like we've seen a lot of walks uh from that i mean and there's so much talent out there with reyes and hicks and things is it just a matter of them finding that way to to kind of get a little bit more control i would think so um you know i still think the bullpen's probably one of the strongest assets of this team with hicks we have to remember that they're, mm-hmm. the Cardinals are, are treating his situation in the early part of the season a little bit differently, given all he's been through with his injuries. Um, they're, they're still very much ramping him up. A lot of times he's, he's not being used in his normal spot because they want to give him an opportunity to work on something in the game. Um, it's very similar to how they build up starters. So sometimes we'll see Hicks in an unconventional place and we'll see him be a little bit wild and we'll see him not have the command. He's working on something there. And is it ideal to do it in a game situation? No, but you know, they're, they're playing the long game with Jordan. He's expected to be lights out. He is lights out. Um, I, so I can understand why it's a little bit concerning to see Jordan go out there and maybe not pitch the 112 mile per hour stuff <laughs> we're, we're expecting to see, but you know, they are still working on him. There are some things that he's tweaking. So that will, will fade in time. Um, I think, you know, it is the bullpen's always magnified because when walks happen, they are in those eight, ninth inning situations mm-hmm. where everything is dramatic enough. Um, this is a pro bullpen uh, up and down, probably one of the better ones in the game. If you can get your game to, to raise in the ninth, I don't know a lot of teams and a lot of hitters that would want to see him in that spot. Um, and they have length. They have a lot of options. Now, I know that two of the the older guys in, in Ponce de Leon and Miller just hit the, the IL um, and probably not the best example tonight to bring up how dependable Tyler Webb has been. Um, <laughs> but that's what's what's crazy about the bullpen is if Andrew Miller comes out and gets gets through the seventh on 10 pitches, we're not talking about it because we expect him to. Mm-hmm. But on Thursday when he allows two runs, it's, oh my gosh, Andrew Miller is horrible, which it's the the negativity of the bullpen because they're used in such a dramatic situation we always talk about the outings that weren't great and we always remember those and then when the bullpen does their job it's like yeah whatever they're supposed to do that 
So not not time to press the panic button yet. I, sh- I get the walks are concerning, especially because they're in the later innings. But this is just it was still one of the better bullpens in the game. And not 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 time to get too crazy. You're you're absolutely right on that. I do on my posts a hero and goat for every game, and you know if at the end of the year you'll look at it and you'll see the bullpen people are in that goat area, but they're very rarely in the hero area because you're right. Unless it's a, (laughs) unless it's a, you know, comes in with the bases loaded and nobody out and they get out of it. We don't, you know, it's like, okay, they pitched a one, two, three, eight. Okay, great. That's what they're supposed to do. We don't think about how important that is uh, to, to see that. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird dynamic they have in the bullpen. Uh, You'll, you'll notice that relievers never want to talk to the media after the game because that usually means something went wrong. (laughs) <laughs> but um, I again, I don't think it's time to panic yet. Give them, give them a couple. Again, May telling point. We'll we'll right. see it. We'll find out a lot about this team, especially given who they play. I mean, they have a tough stretch with the Mets. Who, yes, they've been slumping, but they're due for a breakout. Rockies, uh, that has enough drama, yeah. obviously. Uh, and then they go Milwaukee, San Diego on the road. Those are two really hard series there that they're going to have to. I think we'll find out a lot about this Cardinals team and and what their weaknesses are. Uh, if they're what their weaknesses are and what they need to improve on and what they are good at over the next couple of weeks. Assuming that this bullpen stays as good as it has been, and most specifically with Reyes and Hicks, you know, there was this idea of stretching of Reyes out to a hundred innings, but do you see a time again, if there's not, if everybody's going well, that they take, Reyes out of the closer role and move him to a different spot and move Hicks in because I don't feels like baseball's a little bit superstitious about if it's not broken don't fix it yeah that's that's a good point and that's a good question you know I, I never say never to anything especially with this team mm-hmm. but I, I know they are very strict on this 100 inning limit for Reyes I don't know if that changes in September depending on how he feels if they need a win if if they you know throw him out there to start. I don't know. Um, I, I don't think that I'm not quite sure at what they'll do there. Cause if Reyes continues to be lights out in the ninth, why, why change it? You know, if you can throw Hicks in the eighth and, and throw Reyes in the ninth, you essentially have two closers. Uh, mm-hmm. Does it really matter at that point on who's, who's pitching when, um, and you have guys like Giovanni Gallegos and you have Cabrera. Um, that's four really viable threats that you can go seven, eight, nine with at any time. Um, so I don't know. I think a lot will depend on how Alex feels going through the season and where the Cardinals are in the standings. This division, again, is going to be very competitive. It's very balanced. I don't think we'll have a front runner. I think the Cardinals are still the, the favorite by a, the slimmest of margins um, because they look the best on paper. But again, it, it all goes down to performance. And I think that they're going to be battling the Brewers and the Reds and the Cubs will sneak up in there. The Pirates are, are not great by, by any means, but they're better. They're playing better than everyone expected to. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think it'll be a, a three and a half team race just because I feel like you can never count out, count out the Cubs to start drama in September, um, especially given this rivalry there. It, it will go down to the very end of the season. So I think the last 10 games or so will dictate when or if Reyes' role changes. Yeah, I'm, I'm continuing to hope that this slow start for the Cubs continues so they'll start selling off and be less of a threat. Um, because you're right, you never count them out, especially with the uh, talent that they have. And I'd really like to count them out as soon as possible. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, you, you, you haven't had a chance yet to have a, a Cardinals-Cubs game. And... 
uh, I, I'm sure that you're looking forward to, and you've dealt with rivalries in, in the past, but to, to be in the middle of that rivalry should be an interesting experience for you. Oh, absolutely. Um, I have it circled on my, my calendar. I think it's like May 20, 1921, around that time. They're here at Bush. Um, that, that will be really exciting. Although I feel like I got a little taste of the rivalry when my second day on the beat ever was a fight. Uh, I was like, I thought the Reds were cool. Like, I, thought, I didn't know this team had beef. And then I remembered about the Johnny Cueto kick. And yeah. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that was 10 years ago. And the only... I think Joey Votto, Adam Wainwright, and Yadier Molina were the only ones from that first scuffle back in in the second one. <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously going to be a real cutthroat division. I think the the Cardinals, yes, the Cubs are their true rival, but there's definitely a rivalry brewing with the Brewers and the Reds as well. But that makes for really good, entertaining, fun baseball. Yes, it it should be. I I, I am a little bit concerned about those Brewers because they're they're playing a lot better than I would like them to. So we'll <laughs> we'll see. But uh, you know, again, it, it is. A division, like you said, that's very close, and the Cardinals and, and probably everybody else haven't really shown what they're capable of yet. Uh, you know, we're still just a team. Cardinals two games over 500 and within striking distance of the lead there. Um, there's still a whole lot of baseball left to be played. Absolutely, and I think you're right. I don't think any of these teams have played to their full potential yet, so it's only going to get more dramatic. That's great news if you love sweating profusely in September. Um, and it makes for a a fun dynamic throughout the season because it, it's hard when you cover divisions and you know who the front runner is and you know how it's going to shake out like the NL West, you knew the Dodgers were going to win for the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, now not the case. And you can see how much more fun that division is. I expect the same thing in the NL central. And it'll give you plenty of exciting stories to write. Um, All the storylines. And then you guys can engage with me in the comments because you'll yes. always agree with what I say. <laughs> That's the plan. At least. We'll see. Oh, Katie, it's been fun to have you on tonight. And, and um, hopefully that this rest of this first season goes great for you. And we can do it again sometime. Yeah, Daniel. Thanks so much. This was a ton of fun. Love talking cards. Thank you. And uh, next week, Alan will be back with me. Uh, we'll get back to talking about whatever the Cardinals have done in the past week. And so until then, I'm Daniel. Good night. Shooter from the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss. And that's a winner. That's a winner. A World Series winner for the Cardinals.